Hey guys, hope all is well. Today we will be doing podcast number 12 with El Camino College men's basketball head coach, Robert Apoff. So Rob, why don't you start us off by giving us some background about you? Well, I've been at El Camino College for nine years. Uh, unfortunately, this last season we were not able to play, so I've really been able to coach there eight years, but looking forward to going into my 10th uh, year at the school. Uh, like our group coming uh, back and coming in. And so I think it's pretty exciting. Uh, my background coaching wise, uh, I had a year of high school. After that first year of high school, I decided to did not want to uh, do that any longer after dealing with some administration and, and a lot of the parent issues and all that other stuff. So kind of finally decided I wanted to stick with college and I uh, was very fortunate, got on at Fresno State in a uh, managerial position first year and also functioning as video coordinator and then moved up to the director of basketball operations for two years. Uh, really enjoyed that kind of springboarded some connections in, in my career. And from there, I actually moved into junior college uh, and I've been there ever since. So I've been doing junior college since 2005. So I think uh, 16 years or 17 years now total. And uh, I think 10 of those as a head coach. So Yeah, like I was actually going to ask this the next question, like what were, what were the steps you took to get to where you are today? And like you touched on that. So if you want to like discuss like how like since like you were a college student, like go from there, like from college student to like right now to this day, like the steps you've taken to get to where you are to become the head coach of El Camino College. Yeah, I started out actually, I, I was very fortunate at a young age. I think it was my freshman year of college is when I, <clears throat> had my first opportunity to really start doing a little bit of coaching. Um, ironically, I actually had a girlfriend who was coaching that I helped out and saw how much of an impact a coach could play. And uh, so I knew my freshman year of college, that that's what I wanted to do the rest of my life was going to coaching and obviously probably couple that with teaching. I just hadn't settled on what level. Um, so then I ended up, during my uh, playing career, I was also coaching some AAU on the side and uh that's where I kind of really found the passion about uh, doing what I do and really enjoyed that and kind of solidified my desire to do that for a profession. And then, as I mentioned, did one year of high school, did the uh, Fresno state for a couple of years. And uh, then I did junior college for two years, uh, two different schools before I had my first opportunity as a head coaching job. Um, it was actually out in Barstow, California, which is if people are not familiar in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> People know it because it's the way to Vegas, uh, but outside of that, nobody really knows about Barstow much, I don't think. So I did one year out there. It was a part-time job, um, not making much money, and uh, and I was engaged at the time, too. And so at the recommendation of both uh, my AD and another supervisor there, they said, you know, this kind of place is somewhat of a sinking ship. You might want to think about going back. Uh, I was considering going back to uh, work for another mentor of mine and uh anyway decided to do that left my first year head coaching job to become an assistant again uh with the hopes of getting back at another head coaching job relatively soon they ended up taking six years to happen uh but all the pieces kind of fell in place uh for the uh job opportunity to el camino college because of those same people that i worked for at barstow um, were also big proponents of me helping me land that job at el camino so it's always like so many avenues in life, it's about who you know and and uh, and those type of things and the impression you made on people. 
And so uh, apparently I did a good job of that at Barstow. It was good enough to get those recommendations to move forward and, and accept a job at El Camino. Yeah, that's really cool. Like the journey that, that, that you went like during your coaching career to get to where you are today. And like, let's go back to like when you were at Fresno State, like what would some things that you learned from the experience of being there and like what, what did you take away from that? Uh, great question, because I share a lot of these things with, you know, current and past teams. Um, that was my first level. I played uh, junior college ball and I played NAI. So I had never been really fully exposed to Division One level. And obviously the, the height, the size and the raw athleticism of that level is, is pretty phenomenal. So we had some very talented guys. I think three guys that went on to, to sign some NBA contracts and a number of other guys that played professionally overseas uh, with with the teams that we helped. So just being around that caliber of player was definitely eye-opening. Uh, on top of that, I think too, is just seeing the, the dedication, the expectation. Um, early on, I think I was surprised. I know even our incoming uh, freshmen and JUCO transfers that we had in the program were really shocked by the level of commitment. Uh, because I, I think one thing in my perspective that you really see uh, differential between our level at the junior college level versus uh, the division one level is that division one is very much a business, if that makes sense. And, and uh, the universities are obviously driven to make money and trying to stay afloat and those type of things. And so you see the, uh, the livelihoods of coaches obviously are resting on 18, 19, 20 year olds for the most part too. So it was very eye opening for the newcomers coming in. We had 5am weights, 6am conditioning. They had, uh, you know, semi uh, optional, <laughs> open gyms. They had individual workouts and small groups a couple of days a week. And then they had, you know, two, three hour study halls uh, as well. So I know our freshmen after the first couple of weeks of school were like, man, this is crazy. Like you guys own us. And, and I was like, it's a big commitment. You know, we're having to make sure you guys take care of business in the classroom, but uh, we're also having to make sure that you guys are, are excelling and preparing yourselves for what you're going to face in the court. So, so it definitely is a, a different beast as I would call it. Um, at our level, it's obviously, uh, there's not as much money, not as many resources. And particularly in California, junior colleges, we have no scholarships. So it's a, it's a totally different recruiting experience as well. But uh, I really enjoyed the experience and saw the commitment level and what it takes to be at that level, both athletically, and even as a coach. And uh, also, you know, one of the reasons I decided that I felt junior college for family reasons were probably the best fit for, uh, for me. Yeah, like one thing you brought up was like you've been around like NBA, you were around NBA players like when you were at Fresno State. So like if you can name some of those players who went on to the NBA would be great, greatly appreciated. Yeah, the guys we had were really more short-term contract guys. Uh, Noel Felix was one. Uh, he, I think, signed one or two 10-day contracts. I know in my discussions with him, because I still stay in contact a little bit, uh, I know he passed up on a one or two year deal to go back overseas because he had played overseas prior to getting his NBA opportunity. And it was way more lucrative. Uh, once he had gotten those 10 day contracts, it tends to up your stock and, and your value overseas. And so even though his dream was to play in the NBA, he was at a point too, age wise, family wise, where he was like, I really need to maximize my money that I can make overseas. So he ended up doing really well for himself overseas. Uh, the kid who had the biggest splash, I felt like, was a kid named Ronaldo Major. Um, matter of fact, he's probably more well-known because he is in the um, 
I believe it was the D League. He is, if I'm not mistaken, last I heard, he was the all-time leading scorer of that. Uh, he did get called up for a contract or two for 10 days, I think with the Warriors for sure once, and another time maybe with another team. Uh, he was like, kind of always on the cusp of breaking through, but never really got that one-year contract to stick, uh, but had a really good uh, uh, career, so to speak, playing at the um, at the DV level. And then another kid was Hiram Fuller. I think he played for the Spurs, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, same thing, got some short-term contracts. I don't know if he ever signed a full-time uh, contract uh, as far as for a full year. Uh, but those were three of the guys that we had that did get opportunities in the league. So. Yeah, that's really cool how you were able to work with like like future NBA NBA like overseas players, and and like another experience I wanted to ask you about like is working at the high school level. So like, what was that experience like? What what did you learn from that? Like, what did you take away from that? Um. I mean, a lot of good and a lot of bad. Um, I don't know if I'd say a lot of bad, but enough bad to sway me from pursuing that career is that there's definitely the side of the commitment level. Um, when you're dealing with high school, you have obviously a lot of kids, depending on what high school you're at. I know certain private schools and such have are run like college programs, but the, the majority of high school programs, obviously, very few of your kids um, have an opportunity to move on and play college ball and or the desire to. So it's, it's difficult as somebody who's very passionate about the game and maybe you've seen potential in an individual or a number of individuals and, and really wanting them to work harder and do more so that they can achieve an opportunity to play at a four-year level of college. And they may not share that same desire. They may be happy with just going to school, maybe just playing intramurals um, or just being done with basketball altogether because they were burned out. Um, so the commitment level was concerning um, from that standpoint and just seeing that we had guys making decisions. They'd rather be, instead of being at a basketball tournament, they'd rather be at a, a high school party back home, or they'd rather go to a school dance than attend a basketball game. And, and uh, you know, or whatever the case may be, there was a lot of excuses, as I would call it. So for a, someone who was passionate about the game, it's, it's tough because, you know, your, your mindset is basketball's above most all things, and especially other social gatherings. And so that was kind of a frustrating experience from that regard. Um, and the other side of it too, is so much of high school athletics is surrounded with fundraising and those type of things that, uh, I know the head coach that I worked for, I was a lead assistant, uh, the one year I was in high school and it was rather frustrating because we felt like we didn't really have autonomy to make decisions. Uh, had to keep certain kids on the basketball team because their parents were big donors or, uh, those kind of things. And likewise, playing time sometimes had to be, would get, you know, uh, as I would call it, trickle down to us from the athletic director about, you know, you need to make sure this guy plays some more. His dad's a big booster member and all these other things. So those are just things I just didn't feel as a head coach. You really had uh, the ability to make all decisions uh, on your own and base them on what players had earned. Rather, they were coming down from either administration or parents or other influences that uh, that really had little to do with the kid's work ethic or dedication or ability. So that was kind of the, the frustrating part from the high school level. And then the third prong, of course, too, is that I respect the heck out of the high school coaches that do it, but there's very few high school jobs that you can really make a living off of. Um, they don't necessarily pay you much money for the amount of time commitment that's required. And so you, I find that in my experience of both working with and observing high school coaches that 
you have the overachievers who are busting their butt for three to 6,000 a year, or you have the other extreme where, you know, guys aren't getting paid. And, and as a result, they're not given a whole lot of effort either. And the kids are somewhat getting uh, cheated, so to speak. So um, for me, I knew that uh, even at my level, most of the, the monetary reward is actually the teaching as opposed to the coaching, but uh, regardless, you're still fairly well taken care of and or compensated for being able to uh, spend the amount of time required to be both a high school or college head coach. Yeah, like something I learned at Syracuse this, this past semester in my PPE 326 coaching class was the parent-coach relationship. So, like, what do you define as the parent-coach relationship? And, like, what do you, like, what was that like? At, I know you touched up on it a bit from the high school standpoint, but, like, how do you apply it with your job as head coach at El Camino College? Well, that was definitely one of the draws to coaching in college is that we still got to deal with parents, and especially during the recruiting process, obviously. There's a lot of interaction early on. Uh, but one thing I'm very forthcoming about uh, at, at our level and with the parents that I deal with is that in most cases, there's some rare cases where the kid's still 17, but in most cases, the kid's 18 and therefore legally an adult. And we are somewhat protected, actually, um, by certain, I don't know if you call them laws or rules of the school about uh, student privacies. And so um, we're not always even allowed to discuss certain things about our students with the parents. And so we're very upfront uh, with the parents about, look, if you have a question about something, I'm more than happy to talk to you about it. If you're coming to question, you know, why your son's not playing more, you know, make sure you kind of come gently with that because more than likely you're hearing one side of the story from your son in our case, but you're not a practice every day. You don't know what's going on and, and whether that kid's effort's good or how good the players are playing in front of him and those type of things. So uh, I don't, I don't have, I feel like I don't have to deal as much with parents. You'll get a few that are disgruntled for whatever reason. Uh, and most of those we're able to just forward on to our athletic director slash administration and they deal with it. And so we're not required, so to speak, to deal with parents a whole lot uh, outside of the recruiting process. Whereas at the high school level, it's obviously quite different. You're dealing with minors. Um, every parent, you know, I, I say this half jokingly, but in all seriousness, every kid thinks, or should say a lot of parents think their kid's going to be the next, you know, professional NBA player and stats obviously tell us that's, you know, uh, totally inaccurate. And so trying to convince parents that, look, I'm going to do everything I can to help your son succeed, but trying to be honest and upfront with them can sometimes also lead to them be feeling either hurt or, um, that you don't have their son or daughter's best interest in mind and so it's kind of a more tenuous relationship also because at high school a lot of times you are relying on some parents or something like that to help fundraise or club ball those type of things and if they want to pull their money then it kind of leaves your program up a creek so those are all kind of things that you have to deal with on a parental level but I think too if you can display that you have high character and that you have the best interest of your your young men regardless of what level it is uh, most parents will respect that but there are parents, too, that regardless of how you treat their um, son, regardless of what you do for their son or how much you pour into them, you know, they always want more or, and or it's not enough. And uh, that's just kind of the reality of, of coaching in general, as I would call it. Yeah, like one thing you brought up was like the effort that these kids put in, like the effort level at each and each level is very different. 
and the commitment they put in. Like I remember you were talking about commitment when they had to do it at the high school level and some kids were look, look to play college ball. Some kids look to uh, the opposite, want to play just because it's there just in high school and that's it. And like that was, I, like you were saying, that was a challenge for you, like uh, like frustrating part of the commitment that like it may have not matched what you wanted. Like that was the same for me when I was a manager at my, at my high school was my commitment because I was wanting to be a student manager at the college level. It's like, that was my goal. But other people, it's like the players, their goals are very different than mine because my expectations are way higher. So I just saw like the similarities between my story, like as a student manager at high school. And then like when you were coaching at, at the high school level and moving on to the next section of the podcast about like when we ha- when we did the FCA camp at UCLA during the, during the summer of 2018. So like, what was that experience like for you leading the camp? And like, of course, like we worked together for that. It was one of the best experiences I had. And like, it, and like one of those days, it was my birthday. So it's like just really cool, like being able to work with you, my birthday. And like, just what was that experience like for you doing that camp? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely one of the highlights or has been a highlight for both me and my family each year. Um, I want to say my first year that I got the job or maybe it was leading into my second year, actually, um, at El Camino. Uh, a friend of mine at church had asked if I'd be interested in helping out at, at uh, an FCA camp. And I, I was familiar with FCA, but had never really been exposed to it uh, in my hometown or during my journey. And so it was kind of new to me. And so I got to know him a little bit. He was the L.A. County director at that time. And so uh, my first year, I was actually just coming on as one of the other coaches, as an assistant, as they called it. And then uh, because of uh, the guy who was the head guy, uh, his wife was pregnant and due any day, he could not make the next year. And they asked me if I'd be willing to step into the lead position. And I said, absolutely, anything I can do to serve. And so um, I've been very fortunate. I think I've been the lead there for four or five years probably one of the biggest disappointments for me and my family is that they've had to cancel the last two years because of this COVID. And so we haven't been able to be back yet, but I'm looking forward to hopefully everything rebounding and maybe be able to restart that again next summer. Um, It's definitely a unique experience. I mean, obviously it's an opportunity that I can share my faith uh, probably more openly than you can in a typical basketball coaching setting, if that makes sense. Um, is obviously a Christian organization and we are encouraged to share our testimony and our faith and, and be able to just uh, love on kids and, and, and talk to them about uh, the love that Christ has for them and the change that he can make in their life. So from that standpoint, it's definitely just a different experience than actually being um, on a college or a high school uh, sideline. And I think especially too, I mean, just being brutally honest, it feels like it's always more freedom there too, because you're not having to worry about somebody being offended by what you say, by you know, spreading the gospel or any of those kind of things. And, you, and from an encouraging standpoint, you're obviously surrounded by like-minded individuals slash coaches, support staff, et cetera. So um, from, that, from that experiential standpoint, uh, it's awesome. It's one of the highlights that I've had uh, while I've been the coach del Camino and where that led to me, led me to with you uh, doing the FCA camp at UCLA. Um, as far as the, just, again, the impact you're able to make with kids, uh, just a little tidbits. I mean, there's so many good high school coaches and there's so many high school coaches too, that I think try really hard, 
that also are very maybe limited in their experience or knowledge that it's an opportunity for some of those kids to get some uh, maybe higher level uh, coaching and not from just myself. We've always had great staff there. We have guys that have played overseas. We have guys that are high school coaches and other guys that are college coaches that help out. And uh, I think we've even had some professionals come in too and speak to the kids. So it's really just an uplifting, encouraging three or four days um, and an opportunity to, to basically introduce a lot of kids who may not know much about the Bible, may not know much about Christ, and just introduce them to that and how it can intertwine that into your basketball experience as well. So, um, yeah, it was an incredible experience and had an opportunity to meet you. And we've stayed in contact ever since. And so I was very grateful to be introduced to you and glad you were able to help us out for a few days and, and glad we could get, I think I remember we kind of blessed you on your birthday that day and had the whole camp sing you happy birthday. So that was a lot of fun as well. Yeah, that was definitely an incredible experience. And like, I just love like, when you would talk about like how religion played into like basketball, like this semester at Syracuse also, like I took a whole course on like religion and sports and just learning like how it intertwines with one another. And it's just really quick now. And like listening to what you had to say, like with the FCA camp, it was like, it just brought back the memories. I'm like, why well, I've learned from that class. Like that's really cool. So like now shifting gears to COVID-19, what things have you learned about the game of basketball and the coaching business during the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, that's a tough question for me to answer largely because we've been, uh, I'll just say our school has been super conservative. And you know, from the moment we closed back in March of, I think that was 2000, was that 19? <laughs> um, 2020. 20, I'm sorry. So in 2020, when our school basically closed down uh, on campus, I was literally not allowed back on campus for more than one whole year. So um, beyond not being able to see my guys, um, I did make some efforts and I knew our guys were working out at different gyms in the area and those type of things. So I was popping in and trying to just, you know, keep tabs on them and encourage them to kind of keep, you know, working on their game and get better and those type of things. And for me, it was really frustrating because then I got called in by administration and and told like, look, we really don't want to have anybody at risk. You can't go see your guys outside of um, outside of doing Zoom meetings and that kind of stuff. And as you can imagine, uh, you're not doing a whole lot of learning on Zoom in the basketball you know, context. So uh, it's been really frustrating to be brutally honest, especially from our perspective, because we're in Los Angeles. It's been really strict. They haven't allowed us to have really any contact until just recently. And even that's been very limited and with strict parameters. So um, we're hopeful that our, our program is supposed to be back July 12th, um, that we'll be able to rejoin and start working out again together and get back on the court. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm really intrigued because I think it's also going back to that commitment conversation we had later. I really feel like this time is going to separate the men from the boys as far as basketball players, uh, because you had guys that really poured in the work, the time that we're lifting weights, the training, all that kind of stuff during this year and a half or whatever it's been uh, that they've not had access to the, our gym, for example. And then at the same time, I'm sure we'll have guys that really didn't spend a lot of time working out and it wasn't a priority and those type of things. And so I think you're going to see huge separation uh, when guys return back to the court. And so I'm kind of excited to see that once we're able to, to reconvene. Yeah. Like, that that's definitely gonna be critical for you like will yeah like it would be critical for you to see who 
who's been working out like all these months since COVID started versus those who really haven't put in the work in doing that. Like that's the same for like any team around the country, doesn't matter what level you are. And like, even just, even if they had the season, like who's been, who's been like putting in that work every single day or like once a week or like once, once every two weeks or one, or once a month. So really just, that's that separation factor, which you talked about. And like, Moving on to the next section of this podcast, what is your coaching philosophy? Um, I think it needs to be kind of aligned with where you are. And what I mean by that is I realize that our level of junior college is that we don't have scholarships. You know, we are a community college that's supposed to be here to support our local high schools, at least at our particular school. Every school is a little bit different as far as the emphasis they put on winning. Um, I'm really hyper competitive and, and a fierce competitor in that regard. Um, but also realizing that our level is a springboard level. So um, we've been very focused more on player development and making sure that the guys that move on from our program are prepared for the four-year level and kind of in all, in all areas that they've been prepared by what we do in the weight room for what they're going to face. They've been prepared on how to operate in a college system, meaning running offense and a structured defense and, in-depth scouting reports and film breakdowns and all those type of things. Um, and likewise, they've been through, as I would call it, even hellish conditioning uh, situations too, to maximize their body and really test their, their will. And so, um, and also been put in situations too, where they face off against high level competition. So those are all kind of things that from our standpoint, my philosophy really, I guess, would center more about, I'm more about player development, but also uh, personal slash character development too. And a lot of that goes along with my faith um, is that I'm, as I would say, the philosophy side of our program is that we're trying to raise up men that are going to make a positive impact on society down the road. And, and I think, as we know, if you look at stats and I tell our guys, like there's so few guys, especially coming out of California junior colleges as a whole that ever have a chance to play in the NBA um, that yes, there's handfuls of guys that get a chance to play overseas. I've had a number of guys do that. Um, but the reality is the numbers are very low in that regard. And so I, I have always looked at athletics as an opportunity to learn valuable life lessons, to make lifelong relationships, and, and to also go through some adversity and tough times, uh, regardless of what those are, and then hopefully be rewarded for those, um, those trials that you've gone through as well. And I just think that translated a lot to life. And so I really view our program as an opportunity to kind of yes, springboard and provide opportunity for our guys to move on and play at the four-year level, but also be a springboard into life so that they go kind of fully or as much prepared as they can do when they get into a career and when they get married and the expectations of, you know, fatherhood and some of all those type of things is I really kind of look at it as we're trying to develop and raise up a different generation of young men who are passionate about, you know, being fathers and being productive members of society and being good husbands and all that that entails. And then a lot of guys, too, I do end up wanting to go into coaching, too. And as I call it, doing kind of the, uh, the, the payback, as I would call it, for guys that have inspired them, whether it be myself or previous coaches or coaches they have after me that have inspired them and they want to change lives in the same profession. That's always exciting to see as well. Yeah, like one thing I definitely learned during this pandemic was like life is bigger than basketball. Like that's really important. Like and like to take in every moment you have, and and like now like building off of that last question, 
what are your standards for building a championship caliber team or program? It, that's really difficult. I mean, obviously, as I would say, I found out, especially like there's definitely a level of you have to have um, the talent, or as I would even loosely joke around, so you got to have the dogs to be able to compete at the highest level. So that that has to kind of go uh, without saying. You either have talent or you don't, and and talent will help you win games, uh, and talent will help lead you on the path to the championship. So that's kind of I think a big key factor why the recruiting is so key, and uh, and and all that. I would say on the flip side of that too, the toughest part I think for coaches and this is at all levels, is really trying to get chemistry and buy-in. And so trying to get your players to um, accept what the coaching they're trying to get, trying to accept a role is probably the biggest challenge I see, especially in this day, age, and generation. And uh, and everybody wants to be, you know, LeBron and, and Steph Curry and all this highlight stuff. And the reality is if you really watch, you know, professional basketball, Sure, you have your all stars and your guys that make you know uh, the max contracts and that, but there's more guys in the team that are role guys than there are superstars. And and guys, I think, fail to realize that at every level, and the higher you go, the more likely you're going to be kind of pigeonholed into a role. Um, very few guys are given what we call the green light or given free reign to do whatever they want. And so that's one of the things we try to instill in our guys that I'm trying to put you in positions to be successful. Whereas a lot of guys interpret you saying like, hey, you know, I'm allowing you to basically do A, B, C, D, E, but, you know, you've proven that you're not very good at F. So I'm going to need you to think twice about, um, you know, doing that during the game. So that's always a challenge, I think, is trying to um, convince your guys or get your guys bought into that that mantra of I'm, I have a lot of freedom, but I've also got one or two things coach doesn't want me to do, whatever that may be, turning the basketball over, fouling you know, taking uh, shots that aren't, you know, in our team's best interest and and trying to look at things through a team mentality. And that's where a lot of guys get really upset because they're like, man, like I just took one shot. Well, that one shot might have been a really bad shot for our team. We could have changed the entire momentum of the game because, as you well know, basketball is such a momentum swing game and one bad shot, one turnover, one missed layup. Those things can have really detrimental effects over the course of a game. So. Um, those are kind of things that I think that they come to mind to answer your question. Yeah, like a lot of things you were saying, like definitely correlates to how these NBA playoffs have gone so far. Like one bad shot, one missed free throw, like with like Kevin Durant, the last the last possession in game seven, like same with Ben Simmons in game seven too. And you also got like got a team like the Atlanta Hawks who doesn't just have Trey Young. They got other role players on their team who can step up. That's why they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. And you look at all these other teams like the Clippers, the Suns, and the Bucks. they got players, not just their stars, but their role players who will step up to the plate and provide whatever needs to be done in order to win games. So I just feel like that correlated to what you said in your response to that question. And for the last section of this podcast, if you can give us a preview on like what we can expect to see from you, you and your program as you move into training camp in July and this upcoming season. To be brutally honest, it's hard to say. I feel like we've had a very good recruiting class, probably arguably the best recruiting class collectively that we've been able to put together since I've been here. So there's a lot of excitement behind that. Um, 
I think there's a lot of unknowns too. And what I mean is that this COVID stuff has caused such a recruiting logjam throughout the United States that obviously just about all the seniors for the most part at almost all levels got their year back. Um, so you didn't have many scholarships available. Um, likewise, that's having a trickle down effect that, that benefits us because we're a California community college and for in-state students, it's the most affordable um, and, and oftentimes even free tuition uh, for a lot of our local kids. And so it's a natural progression. They didn't get the looks they wanted because they were didn't get a high school season to play or there just wasn't allowed much as far as club ball and those type of things. So there's a lot of very talented, in my opinion, seniors that went either unnoticed or the scholarships just aren't there to get so that it's making um, a lot of teams, not just us, a lot of teams are going to get better talent than maybe they've had in the past. Um, and in saying that, the tough part is, I joke around, we have anywhere between one to maybe three or more players that are going to be fourth-year sophomores because of this, where they played maybe three years ago, they redshirted you know, to, to work on their game, then they had a year taken from them from this COVID thing, and now they could be back and spending their fourth year at junior college, but they're only being charged, this is their second year playing, and that's like a senior playing as a sophomore, so there's uh, some, some interesting components, and I think that's going to be across the state and really at all levels. Um, you're going to see, I think, a, a better brand of basketball, really, because you're going to have more talent. You're going to have more depth on teams because of this recruiting logjam and player opportunity. So um, I'm really excited about our group. I think they've got a great um, opportunity to really make some noise in our conference and throughout our schedule. Um, but I also think that we're going to see better teams throughout the state uh, because of this recruiting logjam and more talent and more transfers and everything else that we've been seeing across all levels. Um, so. Yeah, it's hard to say exactly, especially because there's so many unknowns for me being that I'm really only having to go by word of mouth because I have not been actually, you know, by my school, even allowed to go see our guys. The last time I actually even saw them in a gym with them just working out, I think was last November. So um, there's been very little uh, contact allowed, meaning in person. And so I really don't even know who really got better, how much better did they get? And even our recruits, I've seen limited film. But we weren't even allowed to really hit the road recruiting until about a month and a half ago before they finally released us to do that. So, so much was relying on film uh, to, to, to really check guys out and decide whether or not we wanted to recruit them. So until they're in the gym, I don't really have a great feel for where we are. But I do know just on paper, size, athleticism, I know it will be a lot better than we have. Um, but the, as we just discussed earlier, so much is based on chemistry, you know, team buy-in and, and all those kind of things. So. I think we're we're a, a program to watch, but uh, but there's a lot of uh, a lot. Of, we're going to have to prove ourselves quite a bit as well. That's awesome! Like I can't wait to hear how you guys do this season. And I wish you and your program the best of luck as you guys head into training camp in July, in July next month, and and from there. And thank you so much for coming on this podcast. And thank you to everyone who will end up listening to this podcast and. Hope, hope everyone has a good night.